segment i am reggie i am chris and we have no young animal books to talk about this week so, what are the odds yeah that just seems to be about <laughs> two and four roughly yes. uh, <laughs> so uh yeah one and two so we you know as we usually do we're going to talk about a year in comics and this time we have gone way way back in the uh time machine to the wonderful year of 2011 when a few Notable things did happen in comic books that I think will be interesting to some of our listeners Certainly. specifically. But first, uh, some uh, real-life stuff. There were some uh, – too recent to do any notable births of anybody born, you know, six years ago. So uh, we'll just do a couple of deaths here. When May 2nd was Osama bin Laden, which I do remember well. May, May 20th was Macho Man Randy Savage. And on June 3rd, the doctor of death himself, Jack Kevorkian, bit the big one. Yes. And you can't you can't say Macho Man Randy Savage without at least trying an impression. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we also had uh, some comic book related deaths. Um, June twenty third, uh, Gene Colan, a prolific artist who worked alongside Marv Wolfman on uh, Marvel's Tomb of Dracula. He also did a similar story, uh, Night Force, for DC. Mm. Uh, he also worked with Steve Gerber on Howard the Duck. Oh yeah, and and many other things he drew on many of the Spider Man. Yeah. I mean, you can go on and on with him. Yes, he he uh, he has quite a resume, and uh, he's got a like a moody style. It's really it's really something to behold. Uh, yeah, like uh, I look at the Tomb of Dracula black and white essentials, and they look fantastic. Yeah, they look it's, yeah without the color, especially and seeing them. Yeah, it lends the very well to black and white. You know, some people have said that he's sort of Marvel's Neil Adams. Now that's not really true because Neil Adams and Gene Colan worked for you know Marvel and DC respectively, sure. so it doesn't really make sense. But I do see what they're saying in that. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let a certain looseness, you know, but mm-hmm. a high, you know, anatomical technique to the, the stuff. So uh, anyway, oh, someday absolutely. we may go on at more length about this fellow. Certainly. Uh, October 31st on Halloween, Mick Anglo, an artist on Marvel Man, he passed away. Uh, Marvel Man is uh, who we all know now as Miracle Man. Yep. Who was caught up in weird litigation that we'll probably get to eventually? Yeah. Uh, December seventh, uh, the creator of Robin and the Joker, Jerry Robinson, passed away. Mm-hmm. And if that wasn't bad enough, one week later on the fourteenth, Joe Simon, co-creator of among other things Captain America, wow. joined him on the other side. Uh, there's also one more death, but we're going to save him toward, to uh, to talk about at, at greater length at the end of this. Uh, yeah, year. we wanted to uh, include him as part of the, the overall comics talk for the year. Also, we did do a show about Simon and Kirby, oh, I don't know, I want to say two months ago, right? That was Weird Comics yeah, History. We did a nice bio. Yeah, Christmas time, yeah. So uh, you should uh, try to dig that one up. That's out there in on the feed. Uh, on March 11th, there was a 9.0 magnitude earthquake and a subsequent tsunami that hit eastern Japan. Almost 16,000 killed, nearly 4,000 missing, and quake affected four nuclear power plants. And this is something we're still dealing with the effects of today. 
Indeed. Uh, yeah, you know, fish, a lot of the fish is tainted. You really don't want to eat too much tuna these days. That's really part of it. So. Yes. Now this was a uh, this was a big deal for a lot of reasons, and, and and a silly reason is that it it actually affected some video game companies out there. Oh I no! Think that's where it hit home for a lot of youngsters uh, oh. on our side of the pond here. Yeah, I'm sure that's the way they felt there too. I'm thinking, oh yeah, they, they were like, they're like, oh man, we're not gonna get Steambot Chronicles two now. Uh, <laughs> but anywho, uh, top grossing movie of the year, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part two which made $1.3 billion worldwide. Wow. And what's mm-hmm. funny is that's like a piker. Like, that that would be considered a <laughs> failure to a lot of studios, you know? Just yeah, like, I know. You didn't make $70 billion for, for what a piece of crap. <laughs> uh, Billboard number one hit was Adele, Rolling in the Deep, who just won a Grammy for whatever the hell her new album is. I haven't the foggiest yeah. idea. <laughs> TV premieres, Game of Thrones on HBO, and American Horror Story on Fox. And uh, this is probably something you might want to weigh in more yeah, on. Yeah, I'll, I'll go on this year. Sure. On June 27th here, uh, I think we might have a few wrestling fans listening. And uh-huh. uh, this was the night that CM Punk delivered his memorable pipe bomb promo on Monday Night Raw, which uh, a lot of us know kind of shook things up until they screwed with it. Uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of renewed interest in pro wrestling because of this one one promo, and uh, unfortunately they squandered it in a matter of weeks. I'm sorry, I only know CM Punk from his amazing uh, comics writing work. Oh, isn't that great? <laughs> and, and a lot of people know him. He's a wrestler too. MMA I did. I thought he was just. I thought he was just a writer. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> thought he just commented on nerdy things. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was just got sort of a muscular nerd guy that was cool. <laughs> uh, interesting. All right, I guess he had to come from somewhere. Sure. So there were a lot of things, and I bet a lot of people already think in 2011, we know the big thing that happened uh, in comics. But first, we're going to talk about something that kind of flew under the radar, but was actually a big deal, and that was DC and Archie Comics officially dropped the Comics Code Authority. Uh, these were the final main holdouts. Marvel stopped a decade prior to that. But uh, as we've talked about, we, uh, you know, our first solo comics history that we talk about a lot were about the Comics Code Authority, how it came through and how it changed over the years. Um, by this time, it was so neutered as an organization yeah. and as a set of rules that it was, you know, uh, effectively ineffective. But uh, yeah. to, to officially drop the stamp was, was a big deal, I think. That was a big deal, because I remember hearing stories about how they still maintained an office office space mm. somewhere, and there would just be like a, like a 10-foot-tall stack of comics waiting for approval. And yeah. they just nobody was there to do it, nobody you were, you were, cared. They weren't even looking at them anymore, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like I say, like, you know, so much that had been scrutinized was was allowed by then plus there was mm-hmm. a ratings also that now comics were rating themselves i know marvel yep. was right absolutely uh, they've been doing it since 2001 so that that sort of takes away the need to have a you know catch-all rate uh a, a authority if you're rating them and you're claiming that this is for certain age groups i sure. mean i'm sure there's still a watchdog group out there scrutinizing at comics least and then yeah, <laughs> at least exactly if, if not like dozens and breaking these guys' balls whenever they uh, get out of line, but there's no no one that can stop the publication of a comic or sure. change its distribution. Uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, part of what made we've talked we talked about this already, but the comics code had been pointless for decades because of the direct market. It it, it has no yeah. point in the direct market. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, a kid is not going to just accidentally wander wander in front of 
you know an obscene comic book in a in a grocery store. But um, that's that's the thing, yeah. But and 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 in, and in a boutique market, you, the onus is on the retailer to you know of do the right thing. I mean, as far as I know, and I think this is true of video games and everything. Uh, only movies you can be barred from. Mm-hmm. By law, you know, you, if you're under 17, I, I think you aren't legally allowed to go to a movie. However, like, as I understand it, maybe I, I'm wrong. You'll correct me, I hope, if I'm wrong. But, like, if a, if a video game is rated mature, well, there's no law. It's like a more of a moral code. They expect you not yeah. to sell that to a 13-year-old. But the cops can't can't raid your store for doing it. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't even think they can levy any fines or anything. It's... It's one of those things where I've seen on occasion. It's weird because I, I, if I'd gone to a, a video game store, or GameStop or whatever, um, I've seen kids buy M-rated stuff. But then mm-hmm. I've seen other times where the kid had to like go back to the car to get their parent, so they could be like, "Yeah, sell it to them." Oh yeah, so I, I, I've definitely seen stores yeah, so that have rules. Uh, sure. So but, it, it, like you said, it is on the retailer. Uh huh. And, and as to but, whether or not they're going to follow. Which we, you know, knowing some retailers, <laughs> they they're not. They would they would sell a seven year old a pornographic comic in a second. So I don't I don't know if that's the best system. <laughs> and a vial of crack cocaine. No problem. Yeah, exactly. This is my target audience. This is what we need. Uh, they they say you want to get kids into comics and crack, right? That's how you do it. That's it. So uh, anyway, this this it was a big deal. I you know I didn't notice it when it happened. I'll no. tell you that. But uh, you know knowing knowing and, now, it sort of it was a portent. Even, yeah, and it wasn't even like handled as a more than just a blip on the uh, our vaunted comics journalists. It was just a uh, you know it was a a news item. It's yeah. Like, oh it, yeah, DC and Archie dropped the code. Yeah, okay. I mean DC <laughs> definitely made no announcement that i can think of you know or like the, the covers didn't come out and be like look there's no stamp on them yeah. you know they just look kinda... ma, no code exactly yeah. it wasn't about that so uh anyway and that's why uh, comics are full of death and gore today yes indeed um let's see here this is uh, also the year where the final marvel comic with silver age legacy numbering rebooted we know Marvel as issuing at least one number one of each book a year now. Yeah, I don't think they but, do number. Uh, I don't think they do number fives. I think it's one I, through I four and back to one. <laughs> back to one. Uh, this was a Uncanny X-Men. It ended with issue number five hundred forty-four, which would lead directly into Uncanny X-Men volume two, number one, two weeks later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tom Brevoort, uh, the cordial fellow he is, he uh, kind of taunted fans with the possibility of this reboot happening. In uh, some CBR interviews, uh, Marvel was doing like a, I think they were originally called like the Cup of Joe. Yeah, Where Joe Quesada would do like a, every Friday, he would have a little a little soapbox or a little and you know, Q&A. Axel in charge. Uh, yeah, Axel in charge. And then it was, uh, then Braveheart had, maybe they made some sort of pun about how he wears a hat. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Beard, I, I Beards in the place, something. I don't yeah, know. So, yeah, beard and hat. There we go. <laughs> but uh Leading up to this, like people were asking, um, why why all the reboots? Why is everything going back to number one? And he would always be like, well, we still have one book that never did for yeah. now. And it's dun, like, okay. Dun, dun. Yeah, I know. Um, but then, you know, it was announced. Hey, we're going we're gonna to reboot Uncanny X-Men with a number one. We were promised that this was not a, a stunt. This is not a stunt. This is an organic thing. You're going to know. You're going to see why we did it. And, of course, Volume 2 lasts about 20 issues before being rebooted again. Uh, it should be noted that as we talk right now, they are in wrap-up mode for Volume Mother Friggin' 4. Yeah, in six so, years. So, yeah, it's a yes. little... 
it's a little Pretty crazy. And, and, you know, it's really too bad, just, just to cut in just for briefly, you know, knowing the beginning of X-Men's history and, like, the fact that it was a book that was almost canceled. It came out, what, bi-monthly for a while yep. as an oversized? Re- yeah, then it I was mean, in reprint mode for... 30 issues a long, a long time and and they were you know it was basically uh, Claremont and uh Cockrum saved it from yep. vanishing they you know and Marvel had no so knowing it came from that and how far it came and you know that it went from being you know a, a comic they were going to like kill to the driving the force of the company was, yeah. yeah uh yeah. It's you know it's too bad and you you could say this for all of the comics that ran for a long time because they all have a history that you seem to mm-hmm. disregard by by wiping it away with number ones. However, since since 2011, like you say, Marvel's rebooted so many times it doesn't even phase me anymore. I think it doesn't matter. I, yeah. I, think, I think if I saw a comic get up to like 30, I'd be like, what the hell is this? What happened? You know? Yeah. yeah somebody somebody wasn't paying attention. I remember making the comment because there was that Superior Spider-Man that came out a few years ago. Yeah. And it went away with issue like 25, 20. I know actually it was like 33 maybe. Yeah. And uh, they they released two new issues of it to mix in with the Spider-Verse. The Spider-Verse thing, I remember that, yeah. And they didn't make it number one and number two, but it was 34 and 35. I was like, wow, aren't people going to be confused? Yeah, exactly. Isn't this supposed to be so confusing, but no. Uh, and actually, I remember I liked those too. It was it was it yeah, kind of got book. me interested for Spider Verse, and then I read Spider Verse. But anyway, that's uh, <laughs> something else. <laughs> that's a lament for another time. <laughs> uh, and I, I remember I wrote a, when I had a, my old blog that uh, I neglected often, more often than not. I wrote up a thing because I was quite annoyed about this, and it was you know petulant, bratty whining. But uh, I was co- trying to come up with more opportune times in Marvel's history that it would have been. A more, you know, advantageous... A truly more, organic, uh, yeah. Yes, change. yes. Uh, like, wouldn't you... If you're going to reboot X-Men, how about do it after Giant Size? Yep, yeah. Because that's a whole new team. And that, that would uh, be kicking off the, the X-Men that we most consider, you know, modern X-Men. I don't know what the hell yeah, you would consider you know, now. With, uh, with Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, yeah. Colossus. You know, the uh, the Claremont Byrne, the Claremont Cockrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, this was uh, Len Wein and, and Dave Cockrum, but oh, right. it was, uh, that, that was giant size. But um, this was a whole new team. It might as well give it a new number one. Why mm-hmm. not? But they didn't. They continued with number 94. Um, post Chris Claremont leaving. When Chris Claremont left, the, the X-Men books were really, really weird because <laughs> you had uh, New Mutants turned into X-Force. They launched X-Men Volume 2. Uh, they, uh, they they changed up X-Factor. It was a whole new team. So it's like, why not do it then? Yep. But instead, it was just Uncanny X-Men number 282, you know? Um, and then there was also after Onslaught, where everything else got rebooted. So why don't you just reboot that too? But they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, after friggin' schism, <laughs> where, where, where Wolverine and Cyclops have an argument and decide to go their own ways, they give it a new number one. Yeah, I mean it's it's clear to me that it was arbitrary market forces. Yeah. Or you know, because it used to be the the, the high numbering was a sort of surprise. A selling point. Yeah, it was yeah. and it was a selling point. It was like, wow, look at this comic that's been really successful for this this many issues. It must be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, which wasn't always true, but that was the yeah. idea, you know what I mean? Um and 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 like I say the people working on it were like, wow, I'm, I'm part of this long legacy. Now, I mean, when you look sure. at shipping numbers, 
it's it's hard to deny that those number ones do spike, but it's t- so mm-hmm. short sighted because, yeah. you know, I mean, they, dr- they the drop off is massive and it gets way bigger Huge. and bigger on the second issue every time they do it. You know, it used to be the second issue, you know, the first the first issue reboot had like a bunch of variants, so it would sell whatever X amount and number two would be about half. Yeah. Now you're seeing you're now you're seeing number two is more like a quarter or a fifth. I mean I'm I'm yeah. dead serious, you know what yep. I mean? And it's like it's like it goes from being a comic, you know, the biggest you know, the number one comic of the month to a comic that's not even pulling its own weight. So because yeah, like who are you trying to see? like you, you got you have a number one, so you have people who are curious, they flock to it. You have maybe lapsed readers or people who've been following the book. They see it as arbitrary because nothing changed. Yeah. Then you have the the fabled new reader who comes in and goes, hey, I bought a number one, and I don't understand it because there's still 500 issues that came before it. Well, that's the other so thing, So they too. don't come back either. It's, as you see in this, uh, it, I guess it's true, DC and Marvel, you know, when – we're going to get into it uh, very soon, talking about the yes. new 52. <laughs> but you know that was a true reboot, where at least for a brief time, you know, you really they really did wipe away previous a continuity yeah. for, to to the bad effect. That you know, to not it wasn't a good thing, but you really mm-hmm. were starting over fresh. Whereas there's not hasn't been a reboot like that in DC since, and Marvel's never had one. You know, they they may number it number one, but it's continuing a story from the last issue. So how is mm-hmm. that? Yeah, uh, jumping on point. And speaking of jumping on points, Chris, <laughs> on Memorial Day 2011, it was announced by many online sources that September would signal a new start for DC Comics. Per Bleeding Cool, on May 31st, 2011, DC relaunched. DC confirms full reboot. September brings 52 first issues and day and date, which is the stupidest term, digital. But it was a big deal to uh, to have digital come out the same day because it used to be a, a month yeah. Right. Something like that, and they wanted. It was, it was. Yeah. It was delayed for sure. So you'd have your but chance. But I hate that term, day and date. I know. Yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? <laughs> um, and now, uh, as older fans online, we had a lot of younger readers, and I would presume non-readers, really, just almost scarily happy for this loss. And this was. This was not just a uh, bleeding cool thing. Too. I mean, this was reported in mainstream media left and right. You know what I mean? This. This was yep. a major news story. At this time, personally, I wasn't buying singles. I was going to the comic store, uh, and you would have thought they would have might have mentioned it there, but they didn't. Uh, but I heard about it in USA Today. I'm pretty sure it was the first place Probably. I read about it. Uh, and uh, Chris tried checking down a couple of choice remarks, but it, it looks like CBR slashed and burned their message board. Yeah, they did. And uh, Bleeding Cool has no replies to the news item. They both. They both killed their forums or whatever folded them into the. Uh, negative zone or something. Or I don't know what they did, but yeah, they, they changed it drastically. But I recall like going online and you know, any any state any statements by a fan that was out of the lockstep of this is a good good thing got shouted down. Yeah. We were told, you know, it's like I remember people saying, you know, old readers need to go away. It's because of you, old readers, that these books aren't selling. And it's like right now we're the only ones left still. But it's like. Uh, it was just, it was so, like, cruel. It was so weird. There was a, well, I mean, you had, a, it's funny, a lot of forces. I mean, it is online, so. Of course, you know, so it's it's always going to be polemic. You're never going to get yeah. a nuanced opinion online. No. It's always going to be, you know, the, something is the greatest thing in the world or it's the worst tragedy yeah, ever. Ten to, out of ten, one out of ten. Before mankind. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you had a, a, lot, a confluence of a lot of things, you know, the rise of, of indie publishers and kind of the, 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 the long-form changeover from image 
over the 21st century from a uh, you know extreme superheroes line to really more I don't know what to call them personal art house story that's fine that that works whatever it is you know more less superhero stories more personal more whatever people oriented stories uh, however you want to put it movie pictures there that's exactly (laughs) what they are but but you know with the rise of that that you had a a rising fan base that had a voice you know and and i remember at the time there were a lot of people talking about gatekeeping and you still hear this yeah and I want to give my this is Reggie's opinion on gatekeeping, okay? <laughs> Believe me, I I have been through many scenes, comics and not, you know what I mean? Definitely have spoken to many people that wanted to put me in my place, tell me how wrong I was about something, you know, something and some very many times I was factually wrong, other times they want to tell me why my opinion is wrong, which is bullshit. Um you got at some point though, you got to say like who gives a fuck what this guy thinks, you know? I mean, I mean, often you're talking about a guy that sees fucking five hours of daylight a week, you know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> I, I mean, and I'm not even putting down a, a longtime reader, you know? I mean, you and I sure. are, the, are, you know, people that love comics history. We love to share comics history, and I hope that no one feels... Uh, you know, like we're talking down to them no, by no. doing it. But if you think we're a couple of assholes, don't let that keep you from your comics. <laughs> Turn us off. So you know what I mean. That's all. Don't you know what I mean? Believe me. Don't, you know, you're not teaching me a lesson if you don't buy comics. <laughs> anyway, that that that's my opinion, Chris. I don't know. I don't. You know that this is. You know, I speak for myself on that. But I, I find the whole gatekeeper thing to be a little bit. Too much because you know you you, you gotta <laughs> have distraction. Have it's the it. courage of your convictions if you wanna if you wanna read something or do anything. Forget beyond comics. Sure. Don't let some idiot there tell you you can't or shouldn't or you're doing it wrong. No one knows what the hell they're talking about. Believe me. And as I always like to keep in mind, most people are probably pedophiles. So that might help you through your day. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> Especially those people I disagree. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it, it's a uh, yes. This is speaking personally here because I I've come to the conclusion over over the past thirty odd years of my life that I have no clue what will or won't work. Yeah. Um, I was put off by the thing. Mm. Um, I felt like it was you know I and I, I might have taken it a little bit more personally than others. I might have felt like I had more of a stake. Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, I felt like it was kind of a – DC pointed to the door and said, get out. <laughs> well, you had invested not just a lot of time and, you know, personal brain power, but a lot of just flat-out cash. That's true. That, that they, were, they were telling yeah. you is, is you, you wasted your money, buddy. You know what I mean? It's no longer matters yep. to anything else. And we would get that line all the time. It's like – so you want to read? Uh, you want to read the death of Superman? It's still right there on your bookshelf. Yeah, I know. It's like you know, you don't get it. It's, it's, not, it's not part it's, of a continuous story anymore. Yeah, it's, it doesn't. It's it's an Elseworlds now. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But you know, I uh, even if we take you know, because Crisis was what a quarter century before this. If, yeah. Even if we take all the stuff that they built since Crisis out of the way, let's just talk the two years before <laughs> the New Fifty Two. Uh uh-huh. DC. Fans, readers alike, they invested not only time, like you said, but a lot of money, like you said, mm-hmm. on books with Blackest Night and Brightest Day on the cover. Yeah. All of which had a promise to leading somewhere. Yeah. We were told a, to stick with it. A, a sort of, you know, Blackest Day was sort of a tear down and Brightest mm-hmm. brightest Day was sort of a, uh, you know, rebuilding. Everything of the, was coming back. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it was, you know, we were told that, you know, bright, Black as Night was, you know, every, like you said, everyone's dying. At brightest day, they bring some choice people back, and it's going to lead to a new status quo mm-hmm. where everything's going to pay off. It did lead to a new status quo, but it did not – it didn't pay off. It was, well, uh, as you pointed out to me, it was truncated because of this, right, yeah. brightest day, which is – Really too bad because it. it I, I read it after the fact, and and my feeling has always been like, what the hell happened at the end of this? Well, there's my answer. Yeah. It got screwed, you know. <laughs> it got messed up. Um, and you know, he, and I, and I have some conspiratorial thoughts here that I'm going to get to here. Um, in the lead up to the New Fifty Two, DC would run sixteen three issue miniseries plus four one-shots and a five-issue event miniseries for the event that would lead into the new 52 called Flashpoint. Yeah. These books, you know how we had Convergence last year, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. where all the books went away for a little while so they could do the Convergence stories? Yeah, these these were that, alongside. That didn't happen yeah. in 2011. They published these books alongside DC's already stacked release lineup. So, if you were still a loyal DC reader, even though they weren't very loyal to us, and you had interest in the goings-on of Flashpoint, you had an expensive summer ahead of you. Oh, yeah. Big time. Or, (laughs) now now my conspiracy theory here, maybe DC wanted the sales on their ongoings to tank just to make the sales, you know, uh, boost of the New 52 look all the more impressive. I mean, they doubtlessly did, as we'll talk yeah. about in a minute, you know what I mean? Especially, you know, if you look at those those Comicron numbers for July and, and uh, August, it, they're pathetic. And I did. Yeah, you did, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they are absolutely pathetic. But it, also, though, without being too conspiratorial, you could also look at it like they had put all of their editorial, at, you know, concentration or a lot of it on flashpoint sure. leaving the other books in the dust although you know again they could have just not published the damn things uh <laughs> but anyway yeah I, I don't know i don't know really know what necessarily happened there what the thinking was behind it but uh the sales that september were explosive and these were Absolutely. also reported on the mainstream media they were so uh, notable. Uh, for the last four months of 2011, DC dominated the sales charts. It didn't last, though. Marvel came back strong in the spring of 2012 with Avengers vs. X-Men, another event that folks feared would end with a complete reboot, which it didn't that time, no. uh, and held a stranglehold for quite some time. The you know, But I will say that throughout, for the next couple of years, uh, it was Batman was always in the top two. And he hadn't yeah. been even during Grant Morrison's time, you know. It's it, no. and Justice League for a long time, you know, for for a while there were there could be months where DC was like one or two books, whereas for a long time they were about half and half with Marvel. You know, it would be like four four DC, five Marvel, and an image, or the other way around. So, uh, I you know I th- I think it had positive effect for a while, but it wasn't as explosive. They weren't able to keep these insane numbers that I'm about to rattle off. Um, So the top 10 books of the year, okay, and and I want you to to remind everyone that this event started in September. Mm -hmm. Uh, The number one was Justice League number one with 231,000 copies. Number two was Batman number one with 218,000 copies. Three was Action Comics number one. 
204,000 copies. Four was Justice League number two, 186,000 copies. Number five, Batman number two. It was just like <laughs> running down the same book. 179,000. Green Lantern number one, 172,000. Justice League three, 161,000. At number nine, we have Action Comics number two, 156,000. And number 10 was Detective Comics number one, 154,000. All DC, all books that had come out in the last three months of the year. Yeah, Marvel had one book. They had uh, number six was, I think it was an Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, you you, you yeah. left that on the list. But, yeah. I mean, that's that that was unheard of for a long time to see the list like this, you know. Ever, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like I say, like, it, this wasn't, you know, the books that had come out before September were irrelevant. They didn't even, didn't even chart here. And to see six figures on so many books, too, is unusual. Yeah. Uh, although it's strange to consider that Batman number one rebirth, which just came out in this past June 2016, mm-hmm. sold 280,000. Yeah. Which is bigger than the biggest book of 231,000, Justice League number one of 2011. So I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's weird, right? It is. It's weird. I have no idea. Uh, I mean, it could it could be maybe you know Batman is a book. There were a lot of fans throughout the New 52 uh, that stayed pretty strong. And maybe they were able to get a rollover. Maybe, yeah, it was it. a very strong title of the whole. That's one of the things that I think people would argue that worked about the new Fifty Two. It did, uh, you know, the, it, at the very end, the last or the second to last arc of Batman is my least favorite. However, Which one was that again? The Bloom one. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, that went on bat, a little too. That was with the robot. Uh, yeah, the Gordon, bat robot yeah. thing. That's a whole. We could have a whole discussion of why I think <laughs> things on that didn't work, but it was their weakest arc. Uh, but then it ended okay with kind of like a goodbye and Scott Snyder's usual monologues about stuff like this. So uh, yeah, I, that that would be my guess. Maybe like it already had it was already selling pretty well, sure. Batman by itself. So I guess it just had to pick up another hundred twenty thousand or something like that. <laughs> now, uh, just our thoughts on the new Fifty Two itself. You know what worked early on and what didn't because this is just two thousand eleven. I can only speak personally. I went from collecting most of DC's output, you know, that that includes miniseries because, you know, Brightest Day was still going on. Uh-huh. I dropped down to less than five books a month. Um, before Flash, Flashpoint, I would bet that I was picking up more than five books with just the word bat in the title. <laughs> and I was down to under five books a month. Wow. Uh, I didn't jump back into DC until... Of all things, futures end. Wow. Of all, uh, I, I, I'm surprised you stayed with it. I'm about you to walk away from <laughs> comics altogether. Like, screw this. It came close. Yeah. This is, uh, between what they, between what DC did and what Marvel did with the X-Men, this, the end of 2011 was probably the smallest my pull list had been in 15 years. Wow. <laughs> you know, it was uh, not, it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, but, uh, you know, futures end, there was, there was always that weird promise or weird rumor that somehow it was going to eventually lead back to the real DCU coming back. Which, and then that only got compounded when Convergence hit. Yeah. So, uh, uh, in the most roundabout way, they were right, but not in the way that you needed to read either of those events to know that. <laughs> yes, that's a fact. You know, uh, but, you know, <laughs> I, you know I, 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 there are some things in Future's End that were cool, I thought I remember. The... Uh, 
I remember that was a place I like Grifter, the Grifter character, and that was pretty funny. And with the uh, was it uh, Fifty Sue or whatever? Yeah, hanging out, was. which who, everyone hated. I thought that was a great stupid gimmick. It reminded me so much of like like a Mr. Mizzy's Pitlick or something, an evil yeah. little uh, imp. And uh, Lana Lang was hanging Lana around. Lang, yeah. But it had uh, and there were a couple little things, but believe me, that thing fell apart so badly by the end. It's it's uh, yeah. should not be checked out personally. As far as Very for me, New Fifty Two was where I came back to getting singles again after many, 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 many years of not really ever buying singles, uh, single issues. As far, before this, the single issues I had bought more recently that I hadn't bought, you know, that make, brought me out of bringing singles for a long time were uh, the two before Watchmen drawn by Darwin Cook. Okay. The two first issues. I know one of them was Minutemen. I think the other Minute one was Men, Silk yeah. Spectre maybe. Okay. I don't remember the other one. And well, that it was, was Amanda Condor. That was Amanda Condor. She drew, it's, he, he drew another, whatever whatever the other one that he Dollar drew. Dollar Bill, maybe? That no. might have been it. Uh, I don't know. I, really, I have no memory. But I know it was Minutemen, yeah. Yeah, Minutemen. And, and I remember thinking, wow, this is, I love Darwin Cook's art. And I had been going, I had been buying trades all along, pretty much since I graduated college, up and all throughout the 2000s. I was still a regular at the comic store. But at this time, it was actually, just to get even stupider into the story, was... Uh, a woman that worked at the office who I think had a little bit of a crush on me gave me all the, the <laughs> new 52 number ones just to kind of to uh, she wanted to get rid of them. She was like, I don't really care about superhero comics anymore. And that intrigued me. And I got into it. and I started getting I didn't buy everything. Uh, but one thing that really pulled me in early on, and this was true for like the first year, was this the crazy books they were doing. Uh, all those war books, and they had Western, you know, they were putting Western books front and center and tying them into the Court of Owls story, that all-star Western book. And uh, DC Comics Presents, and what else? Demon Knights. Was Demon Knights, I liked a lot. Dial H, I love, I love mm-hmm. that book. That's a great, especially if you're a Vertigo fan, yeah, I would say go get that and... Uh, have a good time with it. So it was the weird stuff, which I do recognize as being a poor comics business plan. It, it's <laughs> never worked for them, you know. It's you know what I mean. Like like no one, no one but me and a handful of people, probably you, wants to read about uh, a metamorphosis solo or challenges sure. the unknown. But that's the stuff I love seeing. So it really got me excited. And actually, Demon Knights is really a worthwhile comic. It really was cool. It's like the middle medieval Justice League, and I'm someone that doesn't go for that swords and sorcery stuff usually mm-hmm. so uh you know has spotty art here and there but it, it's it's a strong enough book i would say it's worth checking out that got me really excited though and, and i i really you know it, a lot of me wishes comics could be more like that i know that it well i don't know that it can't but i know that i know why people don't do it um yeah. they stick with the tried and true they'd rather put out 15 Justice League named titles then try, you know, something, you know, left of center. Yeah. But, uh, you know, speaking of day and date digital, this also was the thing that got me to look at digital comics because I don't collect comics the way Chris does and a lot of people. The single issues, I pretty much give them all away uh, and gave those all the way to family and friends and whatever. You know, if it's certain ones that are, like, important to me that I don't, I don't think will be collected in trade, I want them, you know, but... Like I say, I have a very small collection, maybe, you know, 150 comics in total, if that. So, uh, and also, my wife was not thrilled about the uh, growing (laughs) comics piles around the house. So, I I started to try out digital. And uh, I don't know if we've ever even talked about digital, you know. um, It's not as good as printed. Mm. But it has merits in the very things I'm talking about. For example, it doesn't take up space. 
No, it doesn't. Uh, that is a very <laughs> positive thing. You know, you don't get to regard. It's a different reading experience. You don't get to regard a page of layout the way you should. I think you know, mm-hmm. but. Uh, there's like I say, it doesn't pile up in a box, and then your wife has to uh, just kill you. So, yeah. if it's between your wife killing you <laughs> or reading digital, <laughs> you, you might want to split the difference there. Certainly, certainly. Uh, we mentioned early on that there was another passing in the comics field, and we're going to get to that right now. Uh, February 21st of 2011, uh, Dwayne McDuffie passed away. Yeah. Uh, he was an American comics and TV writer, also co-founder of Milestone Media. He was 49. Mm. Um Dwayne Glenn McDuffie was born on February 20th, 1962, in Detroit, Michigan. So he died, what, a day after his birthday? Absolutely, yeah. That's unfortunate. Um, now, while, Di- while McDuffie was uh, working as a copy editor at the business magazine Investment Dealers Digest, a friend got him an interview for an assistant editor position at Marvel. Uh, going on staff at Marvel as editor, uh, Bob Budiansky's assistant on special projects, McDuffie helped develop the company's first superhero trading cards. Uh, his first major work was Damage Control. That was a very weird miniseries mm-hmm. about a company. You know, you you have you have you know superhero stories where there's just so much destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have buildings knocked over, cars exploding. Who's cleaning that up? Well, it's Damage Control. Yep. They show up between issues and tidy up the mess left by the latest round of uh, hero and villain battles. Oh, that's canon now. They uh, show up, yes. you know, quite frequently in Marvel still, and they—I st- don't know if they ever had a. But I it's think not, they it's a... not as cute as it was. No, it, it was, isn't. Uh, uh, now it's more like, hey, look at the reference. Yeah, that's really how they use it more. They don't—they don't, they don't yeah. really develop because there's a whole cast of people in there. But uh, mm-hmm. it's cool that you know he, he still gets to linger around. Sure. Uh, he became a freelancer in 1990, and McDuffie wrote for dozens of various comics titles for Marvel, DC Comics, and Archie Comics. In addition, he wrote Monster in My Pocket for Harvey Comics editor Sid Jacobson, whom he cites on his website as having taught him everything he knows. In the early 1990s, wanting to express a multicultural sensibility that he felt was missing from comic books, McDuffie and three partners, namely Dennis Cohen, Michael Davis, and Derek T. Dingle, founded Milestone Media. McDuffie explained, if you do a black character or a female character or an Asian character, then they aren't just that character. They represent that race or that sex, and they can't be interesting because everything they do has to represent an entire block of people. You know, Superman isn't all white people, and neither is Lex Luthor. We knew we had to present a range of characters within each ethnic group, which means that we couldn't do just one book. We had to do a series of books, and we had to present a view of the world that's wider than the world we've seen before. And we talked a little bit about this in our which episode was that of Cosmic Treadmill? That was that was the lowest the lane. lowest lane, right? The uh, I am curious black. Um, but yeah, the the characters would have been Static Icon, uh, what was the Blood the Blood Brothers, right? Something like yeah, this. Zombie. Uh, zombie Voodoo was in there, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Maybe maybe not Voodoo. Maybe I'm thinking. No, no, she's Wildstorm. She's yeah. Wildstorm. But uh, yeah, it's it's a bunch of books. Chris and I admit to not being super familiar with, but I know for a fact they were huge for a lot of kids at the time. I think it really sure. did speak to a lot of non-white kids for sure. Yeah, and it's uh, and I, I I definitely appreciate his uh, you know it. It's all too often when when it is a, a story about a minority character, it, they they wear their minority status or their yeah. racial status on their sleeve, and that's what it's all about. And I I think that does everyone a disservice. Absolutely. So yeah. uh, actually, and, and, you know, and I think coming from a guy that had writing chops and a, and a, a, sure. a, a non-white guy himself, 
it's all very authentic. You know, it's a little different Absolutely. than, uh, you know, some guy looking like us is wants to write the uh, <laughs> the Latina character. It's a little, little more disingenuous. Sure, sure. <laughs> now, after Milestone had ceased publishing new comics, Static was developed into an animated series, Static Shock. So he was a pretty big deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, he even teamed up with Batman on the cartoon once. Absolutely, yeah. And Batman um, Beyond, he was in there. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, McDuffie was hired to write and story edit on the uh, series. Uh, he wrote 11 episodes. Um, he was uh, hired as the staff writer for the animated series Justice League and was promoted to a story editor and producer for the series, uh, you know, because the series changed from Justice League to Justice League Unlimited. But uh-huh. He was kept on. Uh, during the entire run of the animated series, he wrote, produced, or story edited 69 out of the 91 episodes. So he loomed quite large oh, yeah. on JLU. Uh, or JLU. Um, McDuffie was hired to help revamp and story edit Cartoon Network's popular animated Ben 10 franchise uh, with uh, Ben 10 Alien Force, which continued the adventures of the 10-year-old title character into his mid and late teenage years. Uh, Ben 10 was, uh, that's a man of action uh, cartoon, right? Yeah. Like Joe Lee and uh, Joe Casey and all those guys who were writing Superman at the turn of the century were are involved in. They got pulled into Um, that, and it was huge. I know that when it it was a, a huge thing for Cartoon Network. Yeah, it had. You know, I figure like when something gets a happy meal, it's a pretty big it's deal. It's pretty big pretty deal, sure yeah. Ben, ben got a, it had you know Game Boy games and Happy Meals, so it's pretty good. Uh, he would uh, write a number of direct DVD animated films featuring DC comic characters, including uh, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths and Justice League Doom. Yeah, he contributed to others too. That um, sure. Well, some of them came out after his passing because of just. The, Timing, time. but uh, yeah, I mean, he he was obviously well respected in the Tim Bruce Tim, you know, animated the verse. Timverse, yeah, you know, he had <laughs> he had made his mark. Uh, in 2007, McDuffie wrote several issues of Firestorm for DC Comics, starting in January through to its cancellation. Later that year, he became the regular writer on Fantastic Four, scripting issues 542 to 553, cover dated December 2006 to March 2008. He wrote Justice League of America Volume 2, writing virtually every issue from 13 to 34. That would have been November 2004 to August 2009. But he was fired from that series following a Lying in the Gutters compilation. That was the Rich Johnson's early comics journalistic foray. I think that was on... CBR, right? Or I forget. We had quotes around that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, journal, quote unquote journalistic. Anyway, it was basically gossip, a gossip column. Gossip and, and this yeah. one was about his frank answers to fans about the creative process, which I've read that. And it's very frank, but I, I don't think it's. Nothing worth firing a dude. I don't right? think it is. You know, it's just very open and realistic, but it's not like he's dragging. He doesn't name anybody or drag anyone through the mud, but anyway, that's, that's the way we, it is. Before we move on here, I'm looking at these last three things he wrote here, and it's. These are uh, Firestorm at the time was a uh, was a uh, I don't remember is not Ronnie Raymond the other one. Yeah, it's um. Oh God, I gotta do research. It's it's, it's the it's the Black Kid. Yeah, the Black Kid. Um, and also the when he wrote Fantastic Four, this is when Storm and the Black Panther joined. Oh, all right, that makes and, some uh, sense. And the Justice League of America is when I, I remember a lot of the stories were were about Vixen, and then they actually brought the Milestone characters in. Yeah, so well, that, it's, it's almost like he's typecast or something. That's unfortunate. It, it, he is, and you know, it's funny. Christopher Priest talked about this recently. He doesn't want to be the guy to to write only black characters. He doesn't uh, want, yeah. Uh, which I think is is something uh, interesting. And you know, uh, 
we talked about this before we recorded that Dwayne McDuffie is well respected and a lot Absolutely. of people I know Gail Simone credits him with teaching her how to write comics and other people got tutelage so I think he had the nuts and bolts however I mean he, he's passed so we can't talk to him about his feelings about it but uh, I you know he he was the guy that held the torch for this for for representation in comics and you know I think he did the best he could with, uh, you know, the the position he the had assignments. been. Assignments, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm glad that someone was able to to bring that in, and it's a lot more authentic, I think, than, uh, you know, p- putting Vixen in the Justice League, which actually is happening right now in Justice League of America, is a lot more authentic than making Wonder Woman black. Let's say, uh, you know what I mean. Uh, so. You know, I don't know. I've read those JLA comics. They're great. He's a great writer, yeah. and I've read a lot oh, of. Absolutely. He's written Batman. This is this is really a partial bio. There's much more we could say about him. Uh, yeah. He's 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 just a a great writer with chops. That he became the kind of uh, mouthpiece for non-white characters, and uh, I think the industry benefited from that. You know, it's poorer without him for sure. And it definitely is, and and you see, there's a, a huge push for you know more representation in comics, but it's not. It's not true to comics. I don't know whether that makes any mm. sense. You know, Dwayne Dwayne McDuffie. You know, you when you read his JLA, you don't think about the colors of people. You know what I mean? It's about the yeah. characters still. It's about the characters. You know, yeah, and everybody is a character. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to name any comics, but I don't get that same <laughs> feeling from certain comics today. <laughs> anyway, so uh, just to wrap them up, you know, this 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 ties into what you were just talking about about folding the milestone into JLA. That in 2010, McDuffie wrote Milestone Forever for DC Comics. That was a two-issue square-bound miniseries chronicling the final adventures of his Milestone characters before a catastrophic event that fuses their continuity with the continuity of the DC Universe. And on February 21st, 2011, one day after his 49th birthday, McDuffie died at Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank, California, from complications from emergency heart surgery. Uh, That was at a time when Static Static did have a comic, and so did Zombie. Right in the early static was uh, static was in the Teen Titans towards the end of the uh, pre Flashpoint uh, DCU. Uh, static would have his own series uh, during the launch of the new fifty two. The new fifty two. Yeah, Zombie did have a series going on at the time. I don't know how true it was to the Milestone version, but it it did exist. I mean, they they tried to fold a lot of these Milestone guys into DC more in the new fifty two, mm-hmm. and it didn't really take. Um, we, it seemed like know. a very half-hearted uh, attempt, uh, it, where it, it should be, it shouldn't be that difficult. Because, uh, like I said, like we said, we didn't read these books at the time, but seeing them in the Justice League, it was uh, natural. It, it was. It, it feels natural. Um, it's my impression is that, is that they didn't reintroduce, you know, for all the rebooting that New Fifty Two did, they didn't reintroduce the milestone characters in the same way they reintroduced. Superman, Batman, Wonder sure. Woman, etc. They kind of took for granted that you would accept that these that this was a world of heroes, and here were some more heroes, which I think works fine. But it, you know, th- those they are different, and and the fact is, a lot of white people haven't read those comics. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can we can bemoan that fact, or we can you know face that fact and say, all right, you want to know who these characters are? Here are some true. Yeah. Introduction. The Dakota verse, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. You know, we we know it exists, but I couldn't tell you, you know, the specifics about pretty much any of those characters off the top of my no. head. So, I don't know Static's real name. 
There you go. Uh, to be honest, I know Static mostly from the cartoon. You know what I mean? I, yeah. know, I know the other guys. We've done research on them, and I knew about their existence, but I still don't, you know, I haven't looked at a lot of those 90s milestone comics. But I know I've no. talked to a lot of people, a lot of uh, uh, now black adults, but people that were teenagers then. Uh, those were huge for them. It was tr- it was t- tremendous. That was their favorite comics, and I, and that's awesome that there was that out there and that it was legitimate. You know what I mean? Like, um, you and I have both seen you know pro black, pro whatever comics coming out of the <laughs> independent black and white publishers. <laughs> Usually these aren't the best done comics. Is that fair to say? Oh, that is that is uh yes that is very but, uh, diplomatic. They, a lot of them have their own <laughs> special charm, but quality is not part <laughs> of that charm. You know, whereas those milestone comics are legit. You know what I mean? Yeah. They are they are 100% you know four color comics you would expect to see on you know on a rack sitting they, right they next to Superman. Yeah, they don't uh, they they don't look off on the rack. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so that's that that was huge a mainstream, you know, mainstreaming that universe. Uh, anyway, I have heard you hear it all the time that DC's about to do something <laughs> or you know, I I mean I remember I heard that the rights reverted back to the original guys and then now DC has another agreement and then something's about to happen they seem never be able to make it happen yeah so it's i i couldn't even tell you where they stand now because i think the last i heard is that they bought them outright but i don't know if that's true exactly like i'm just not (laughs) sure you know like i say i I know they had a licensing they had a, a a like exclusive licensing deal with dc that i think ended lapsed but then dc either bought them outright or renewed or something um, anyway, DC has the rights to publish those comics or those characters, and we'll see if we ever see them again. But yes. that was a pretty full 2011, I think, dominated mainly by uh, comics shenanigans. Um, as far as Young Animal, next week we do for sure have Shade the Changing Girl number six. We have mm-hmm. seen a comp, ladies and gentlemen, which is a sign that uh, the comic is true. Yes. And the week after that, I believe there's no Young Animal books at all. Hey. I can't promise it. I'm never really <laughs> sure. It might be, but uh, that Doom Patrol seems to have vanished that they were talking about for a while, or the, even the deluxe edition. Even the director's cut, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we we expect there to be another free week. Uh, we'll pick a year, or we'll talk about something uh, outside of Young Animal. But uh, until that time, I think that's all we got for him. You got anything else for him, Chris? I think that'll do us. Well, until next time, I want you to keep it young and animalistic. See ya. Sitting around with the guy. Having a laugh, reminiscing about times. Asking me about things I did in the past. I try my best to think real hard, but my mind's not intact. So I try real hard to go along with the flow. Say hello. That was two thousand when tales ago. That was two thousand when.